0: Reveal that to us this morning. We ask God, in the name of Your Son Jesus Christ, and all God's people, said together. Amen. Uh, no. Nope. <laughs> Seriously, a year in, I still don't have this down. Would you please remain standing for the reading of the word? I will be reading from the Book of Galatians, chapter one, verses thirteen through sixteen. For you have heard In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, you guys can open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. The book of Galatians is towards the back of your Bible. It's uh, a letter of the Apostle Paul. So if you guys kind of flip towards the back, it's kind of one of the smaller letters in the New Testament. So you may need to look for it. It's right before the book of Ephesians. So we are in the second week of our series that we're starting in the new year called Fighting for Grace. And we're walking through the book of Galatians literally in a verse-by-verse manner. We have different tools for you. Um, that in studying the book of Galatians we want to bring before you every week one of the reasons we want you to have a Bible in front of you whether that's electronic or a hard copy Bible is so that you begin to learn the scriptures uh, yourself and understand what that is and that's also why we provide for you study guides in each series that we have that are back at the connect desk when you go back there but we're in this series fighting for grace through the book of Galatians and fighting for grace is ultimately the same thing as saying fighting for the gospel now many of you in here May know that word and know that Christians use the term gospel It just means good news and we're going to define it more here in just a minute But what you see from the Apostle Paul from the pen of the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Galatians is that the gospel is worth fighting for The gospel is worth fighting for so the goal of our series is to develop in our churches, Redemption Church is a multi-congregational church, to develop in our churches what we're calling gospel fluency, gospel fluency. So like being fluent in a language, you would be fluent in the gospel, the message of the scriptures. So let me give you a little context of the book of Galatians before we get into it, just for your knowledge, chapter 1 verse 10 through chapter 2 verse 10 is the section we're going to be in today little bit of context the book of Galatians is written to churches multiple churches in a region called Galatia and it's, so therefore it's written because it's written to churches it's written to Galatian Christians and here's what had happened the apostle Paul went in and started new churches it's called the planting or the birthing of new churches in this area around the true gospel message which for now we'll say is all about Jesus it's the message of Jesus Christ and what happened When he left, there was a group of people that came in called the Judaizers, and they were Jewish people who would have said they were Christians, but they were saying the gospel message isn't just about Jesus. It is about Jesus, but it's also about keeping the laws, the laws of Judaism. So this meant you had to maintain all of the the festivals and the celebrations. You had to be circumcised. On down the line, you had to keep the works of the law, keep the food laws, be circumcised. Circumcision was the primary issue in these churches in Galatia. Galatia, and what was happening is that this gospel message was going to non-Jews. That's called Gentiles, right? So when you read the New Testament, you're reading about Gentiles and the Jews. That means anybody that's not a Jew was a Gentile. And the message had taken root amongst these Gentiles. They were saying this Jesus is amazing. He's the Lord of the earth, and he's the savior of the world. We'll believe upon him. These Judaizers came in and said, oh, well, it's not that easy. You also have to do all the things we've done through our whole entire life. What it began to do was create a division within the church between the Jews and the Gentiles, and what you see from the beginning of chapter one that we established last week is that this makes Paul irate okay just to not bother anybody I'm going to caveat this but in today's language here's what Paul is he's pissed okay he's really angry because he knows the message of the gospel in all of its purity because he has received it from God and he now begins to go this message of Jesus plus anything marginalizes the gospel this is Painting to the point of destroying the gospel he's saying in fact this is no gospel at all so what these judaizers began to do in order to discredit paul's message of jesus plus nothing was that they came on the scene and they began to discredit paul they began to attack his character and his qualifications they began to say his qualifications are far less than ours we came from jerusalem from the real christians the real apostles who were really with Jesus, and he's only a secondhand apostle. And then they begin to attack his character as well. Now, you guys know what this is like, right? Because we're in the middle of presidential season. You know what it's like when people come up and try to discredit the character and the qualifications of somebody in order that they can discredit their message. Because the Judaizers at this time knew that in order to attack paul's message they had to attack paul it's the same thing in as we begin into this election season i don't know if you guys saw this past week but there was a cnn debate right before the south carolina primary in which cnn started the whole debate off by going after newt gingrich's past i don't know if you guys saw this but they start the whole debate off and they say hey in the past week mr gingrich one of your former wives said that in 1999 you were having an affair and you asked her to enter into an open marriage. Do you mind, Mr. Gingrich, responding to that? Or do you want to respond to that, is what they said. His answer was, no, I don't want to respond to that, but I will, and the whole crowd gets up and erupts in cheers, because all the people in the crowd, whether they like Gingrich or not, are probably like you and I, that are just so disgusted by how people are just attacking each other, going after one another. He says, no, I don't want to. And then then his next words are, I am appalled that you would start a presidential debate attacking somebody's character with something that isn't true. So we know what this is like. That's exactly what the Judaizers are doing to Paul, and it's the context in which we're gonna get into today. They're attacking his character and his qualifications, and Paul is standing there Not unlike Newt Gingrich saying, this is ridiculous. Now, let me say something. In a presidential election or otherwise, I'm not saying character doesn't matter or qualifications don't matter. But what's a problem is if somebody attacks somebody and it's not true. And Paul begins his defense of his apostleship, which we'll see in a minute what that is. He begins his defense very vehemently because he's saying the accusations of this man, these men aren't true. They're promoting lies and hear this, they're promoting lies about me in order to promote lies about the truth of the world, the truth of the gospel message. So here are two key words that you have to understand. If you're going to grasp the meaning of the book of Galatians in its context, here are two key words you have to understand, gospel and apostleship. If you grasp what Paul's talking about and the meaning of gospel and apostleship, you will Have way bigger potential of having understanding of the book of Galatians. So here's the first thing the gospel. We spoke about it last week. We said that the gospel is cosmic, it has to do with the whole entire world. That the whole entire world has fallen under the darkness and the evil of the enemy, Satan. It's a mess. And then there's the kingdom of God, the beauty of the kingdom of God, everything that's right and true and just and beautiful about the world, and the gospel comes in, and God himself, the Lord, comes in to destroy the enemy and the evil one to bring forth all that's true and just and beautiful in the world. It's cosmic, it's communal. God is shaping a people to witness about the kingdom of God. Everything that's true and beautiful about God is played out in the kingdom of God, and we as the people of God, the church, God is forming a people, which is called the church, to witness to that reality and its individual. In short, in a nutshell, here's what Tim Keller says the gospel is. The gospel is that God himself has come to rescue and renew the world in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. You hear that? It's cosmic, communal, and individual. Let me read it again. The gospel is that God himself has come to rescue and renew the world in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now, here's definition. It's about Jesus in the work and through the work of Jesus, not on the basis of anything that we do. That's what the Judaizers were saying is, yeah, it's Jesus, but it's Jesus plus all these other things you have to do. And Paul's saying, no, it's not. The good news, the announcement is that God is saving the world. And if you believe upon him and him alone, you too will be saved. That's the gospel. The second word we said that was essential, and this leads us into our text today, is apostle. Now, the word apostle, which Paul declares himself to be at the beginning of this letter, just means, apostle just means sent one. But the question of a true apostle, a capital A apostle, is who they were sent by And directly sent by him Paul saying I am a capital a apostle because I was sent directly by Jesus now this whole section we're in from chapter 1 verse 10 through chapter 2 verse 10. He's defending his apostleship that he was sent by God and here's why he he so heartedly defends his apostleship because he knows they're attacking his character and qualifications his apostleship to discredit the message. So to Paul, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he defends, I am one sent by God to deliver you this message. Therefore, I will defend my apostleship. So let's get into it. Chapter 1, if you start in verse 10. So Paul has just said these amazing things, like these men who are coming in are preaching to you a message that isn't the gospel at all, they are an anathema. Let them be condemned. What he's saying is let them go to hell. Okay? Now, one of the things the Judaizers were saying about Paul is the reason he doesn't want you to be circumcised, the reason he doesn't want you to keep the works of the law is because he's a man pleaser. So Paul establishes this whole argument up front where he just punches someone right in the face from the beginning. Wham! You're preaching a false gospel and you should go to hell because of it. And then he says this in verse 10. I love it. The beauty of sarcasm. Here's what he says. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Right? Like, I just swat you in the face. Am I actually seeking the approval of man? Am I a man pleaser? Am I seeking the approval of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, hear this. I would not be a servant of Christ. That phrase, if I was still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ, literally means I wouldn't be Messiah's slave. So the title over our whole message today is Messiah's Slave. Paul is saying, I am Messiah's slave. I am Christ's slave, and that's all that matters. And I've been sent by him. That means he's an apostle. I've been sent by him. So he now begins to go on through this whole section, this whole chapter, and defend his apostleship, that I'm Messiah's slave sent by him. Paul's true of Apostleship is shown in three ways in this passage his true apostleship is shown in his conversion That means how he was changed in his commission that he was sent And then in his confirmation Who he was confirmed by in his work. So let's start this out Paul's apostleship that he came from God is shown in his conversion starting in verse 13 Going through verse 16. He says this Okay, here's what Paul begins to do. He tells his story. Paul begins to tell his story of before he came to Jesus Christ in verses 13 and 14 because Paul believes that in telling his story, that his story has power to show that his message is true. We believe that too, right? Right? that stories have the power to tell us what's true. This is why if you ever are in a phone conversation and your friend calls you and says, hey, I'm in this relationship and my girlfriend or my boyfriend did this. If you've been around long enough, you'll understand the old adage is true that there's how many sides to every story? Tell me, how many sides? There's two sides to every story, right? there's three people involved, there's three sides. If there's four, there's four sides. There's two sides to every story, and so you want to sit down and hear both sides because in the sharing of stories, you can find the truth. This is why in court cases, when people are innocent until proven guilty and they're trying to get to the bottom of the truth, they have people testify because in the sharing of stories, we can find the truth. And so Paul begins to say, let me tell you my story. These Judaizers are coming in. Let me tell you my story. And he says, starting in verse 13, you want to know what I was like before I encountered Jesus Christ? He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. The book of Philippians says that Paul was a Jew among all Jews. In regards to works of the law, he was a Pharisee, which meant he kept the law meticulously. He says, you've heard about my former life in Judaism. I cared so much about Judaism that when the church of Jesus Christ began to arise, people began to follow Jesus. Jesus was crucified on a cross and killed, raised from the dead, and many began to follow him. And many Jews in Judaism looked at that and said, this is a heretical sect. This is a false teaching. They were scared to death of it, and they said, we need to purify Judaism. Judaism. So therefore, what do we need to do? We need to kill these people. And Paul was the one who led the charge in persecuting the church, which literally meant he watched Christians like Stephen as he was holding the coats of men who took large rocks and dropped them upon Stephen for what he was preaching and what he believed and killed him. Paul was a murderer. He's saying, I so cared about Judaism and the purity of the works of the law, that I killed people who didn't live up to this. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely was I for the tradition of my fathers. And then he says, but. Let me tell you what happened, what the but is. Right there. But I when he who had set me apart before I was born. Here's what happened to Paul. Paul was persecuting the church. In Acts chapter 9, we see something amazing happen. Paul's on his way to persecute more people. It's called the road to Damascus. And the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, meets him on the road to Damascus, knocks him off his horse, blinds him, and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, Lord, what do you mean, am I persecuting you? Who are you? He says, I am Jesus Christ, the one whom you persecute. From that moment on, Paul's life is, here's the word we're gonna use, converted. If you wanna know what converted means, it means he was truthfully changed, changed at the deepest level from being a persecutor of the church to being a adamant follower of Jesus Christ. In starting here, in verse 15, Paul tells you what happened to him. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, he says he was set apart, and then he said he was called by grace because God the Father was pleased to reveal, or that word means unveil, the Son to him. So he says, I was set apart before birth. In the Bible, there's this word called election that means before if you are a follower of jesus christ before you were ever born god set you apart to be his and we're going to see in a minute and even more than just be his but that he set you apart so paul says here's what happened to me the road at damascus me encountering the risen son of god happened because when i was in my mother's womb before i was even in my mother's womb god set me apart To be his. He then says in verse 15, the second part of it, that he was called by God's grace. So that's the the road at Damascus, that by God's grace even though he was a horrible man, killing people, a murderer God called him in grace unconditioned not on the basis of what Paul had done, God called him and said in love you're going to be mine because he set him apart he called him in, gra- in grace, and then he said that the God of the universe was pleased to unveil the truth of the Son of God to me. Now, I don't know about you. I know about me, and I'm certain it's true of you, that there are moments when you come to understand the truth about Jesus Christ, that that's exactly what it is. It's like an unveiling, that literally the blinders have been lifted, or a veil has been moved up and away and all of a sudden you see for the first time the beauty and the majesty of jesus christ paul's saying i saw that because god set me apart and he called me by grace and he unveiled the truth of his son to me now i want you to know something paul's circumstances and his experience is different than i would say everybody in this room But the substance of his change Is the same If you're in here And you're a Christian You are a Christian because you've been Set apart by God You're a Christian because you've been called In his grace You're a Christian because God himself Unveiled His son to you That you now saw him in all of his glory In all of his love In all of his grace And you were then changed deep down. Now I'm certain because I know the way God works that there are people in this room that are on that process. That you're going, I don't know what's happening to me right now, but it feels like it's destined to happen. That God is just unveiling Himself to me. We talked about this last week. That's the God of the universe pursuing you, He's after you in all of His love and in all of His grace. In many people in here, maybe what's happening is you're hearing the stories of other people, like you're hearing Paul's now of God changed this man deep, deep down. Now, there's something I want you to see about Paul because if you're in here, there's two possible options of people that are in this room when they hear this if you don't already believe this. One would be that you're in here saying, I'm too bad for that. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. My life is a wreck. If you knew What I carry behind me, I carry a trainload of baggage, and it's bad. Hear what Paul started off, and you know my story, how I violently persecuted the church of God. Paul was a murderer. Okay, Nobody is too bad to receive the grace of the gospel. And yet the next verse said, in regards to being religious, I was meticulous, Paul said. So nobody's too bad for the gospel, but then here's the other option in here, is that you think, I'm good enough. I don't need God. There was nobody better than Paul in regards to being religious. He was so religious that it led him to kill people. He kept the law meticulously. So there's nobody too good in here not to need the power of the gospel, the announcement that Jesus saves Now, Paul uses his whole story to say to these Judaizers who are attacking him, listen, you want to know the truth about me? Here's the truth about me. Here's what God has done in me and around me. And that leads to then him defending his apostleship, the fact that he's sent by God. He said, here's my conversion, here's how I was changed, and here's how I've been commissioned. The word commissioned just means sent. He's defending the fact that he's been sent by God. And here's what he's saying in commissioning. Here's the idea that the Bible teaches over and over again is that God never changes somebody radically in. Hear this. God never changes somebody radically in but to send them radically out. God never changes somebody radically in but to send them radically out. Think about this. This is true for all of us. This is like a training program. You start off the beginning of the year and you say, I want to get in shape. Why? So you can feel better about yourself, but the reality is you want to get in shape so that when summer comes and people are hitting the pool that you can go take off your shirt and people go, dang, right? (laughs) It's meant to be shown off, right? Or so that you can get in your swimsuit and know, hey, this is meant to be shown off, right? Here's a great line. Change lives in the Bible, change lives, as people see lives changed, their lives begin to change. God never changes you but for you to show it off. But here's the deal. Not in arrogance. It's way more like training. Right? So if you're a police officer, right, you go into training so that in the end you can be commissioned to protect and serve. That's even a way better picture. You go through training, you get changed, formed into being a police officer so that you can protect and serve. In God's economy, he doesn't change somebody so they can sit there and go, look at me, right? It's not that, but it's meant so that they can go, look at Jesus. Look at what Christ has done. And then they're called into the world in a way, you could say, to protect and to serve, to represent, to witness, to share this gospel. Look at verse 16. Paul speaks about how he was changed, and then he says this, that God was pleased to reveal this son to me, and here, look at this phrase, in order that, he's telling you the reason now, why did he change me radically in? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul says, God changed me, made me his, in order that I may preach the truth of the gospel the gentiles so there's this word we used earlier set apart election okay i want you to understand and we don't have the time to get into this really deeply at some point there'll be a class on this here at redemption arcadia election is never just under privilege it's not to say god called me to be a son and daughter of his isn't that great but it is that's true he did call you to be a son and daughter but he also called you unto purpose as he did paul he called you to be a sent one in the world. That's why we're called to be witnesses that in everything we do in everything we do we witness to the greatness of who jesus is in everything we do whether we're eating whether we're drinking whether we're working working whether we're nurturing kids whether we're shooting baskets whether we're designing a building whether we're listening to music in everything we witness to the greatness of who God is. That as God's people, you're then realizing there are people surrounding me all the time that don't know the beauty and the love of God is found in Jesus Christ, and everything I do is meant to put Jesus on display. And therefore, we also then have to use words and tell people that. That's why Paul says, I was preaching the truth, the message to the Gentiles. He says it just earlier in the section in verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, he's preaching a message. The gospel is an announcement. It's truth about what Jesus has done. Now, listen to the amazing nature of this story in a quote by a man named Tom Wright. Saul became Paul, okay? Saul killed Christians. Listen to Tom Wright's statement now. God to Saul's horror and amazement, God, to Saul's horror and Saul's amazement, had now revealed his son to him and had done so in order that he, Saul, an ultra-Orthodox Jew, might tell the pagan nations that he hated, to tell the pagan nations that Israel's God loved them as much as he loved Israel. Is that amazing? This ultra-Orthodox Jew who was killing, who hated pagans, God had now called and said, you got it all wrong, Paul. I love the whole world, so I'm going to use you to now go to the pagan nations you once hated to tell them I love them as much as I loved you. God changed Paul radically in, in order to send him Radically out. Now, if you want to know, well, what does that have to do to me? Because Paul was special, which he was. He was an apostle. It's the same for you. God doesn't change us radically in, but to send us radically out. All of our life is all for Jesus to be on display before all people. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we seek to be peacemakers. That's why we love our neighbors as ourselves. The last thing Paul does in defending apostleship the fact that he was actually sent by God is he shows his confirmation, that he was confirmed by respected authorities, you could say. That's what confirmation is, right? It's you're being confirmed by respected authorities, and what that does is that authenticates a person to do what they're doing. So this is why there are endorsements on the back of books, right? So when you see an endorsement, on the back of a book and it says Barack Obama endorsed this book, you'd go, wow, Barack Obama thinks this book's good. Or it's endorsed by Dallas Willard, who's a big Christian mind. Wow, this book must be good because Dallas Willard endorsed it. This book is endorsed by Bill Gates. Oh, wow, it must be good because it was endorsed by Bill Gates. It's a respected authority authenticating the value of something that's being done. Right now I'm uh, just finishing up a a schooling program. I'm finishing up, uh, the back end of finishing up a doctorate and I've just recently found out that the program is lacking in funding and I got a letter that said, you need to finish up your program like in the next five months or you won't be able to finish your program. Now that's not the best news in the world, okay? Because I'm going, I have like started none of what it's gonna take to complete this. So now I'm looking at other programs to see if they'll let me transfer into this program. But when you're transferring at that level, it's not as easy as just going, hey, I'll give you my money. Will you accept me? Because there's all these accreditation things. So I'm talking to people to say, will you send the director of this program an email on my behalf endorsing me? Tell them I'm really good, right? Because I don't want to waste all that money I just put into this to then lose it all. Tell them I'm great, will you? Like, even if you lie a little bit, which is what they do on the back of books all the time, because if you've read those books, you'd know they're not as good as the endorsements. Just tell them I'm great so that I can get in. What Paul does here is he says, you want to know something. You're questioning my character. You're questioning my call. You're questioning my qualifications. Let me show you whom I've been confirmed by. And he starts off by saying, I've been confirmed by God. That's kind of a stamp of approval. I've been confirmed by God. So look at what he says. So in verse 16, so he was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And look at what he says. I did not immediately consult with anyone. This is what he said at the beginning of this book. I was not given a message by men. My message didn't come from men, nor was I sent by men. My message came from God, and I was sent by God. So here's what he says. I encountered God. He said, I'm calling you to do something, and he said, I didn't go talk to anybody. I went away into Arabia, he says, ultimately what you know is to hear from God. I did not consult anyone, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, to those who were the bigwigs, to the apostles, I didn't even go up to them before me, but I went away into Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul makes this argument throughout this entire section of this book. My message came from God. I was sent by God. My message didn't come from men. I wasn't commissioned by ga- men. I was sent by God. Now, let me tell you what that gives him. And you see it through this letter. Paul has an amazing amount of confidence. He has an amazing amount of confidence. Now, imagine this. You get a message from a person and people question it. You could go, yeah, maybe it was wrong. Maybe Bill passed that on to me and he was wrong. But if you get it from God himself, you're going, "Ah, I know who it came from. There's no authority higher than this one. I got it from God. Paul is given an extraordinary amount of confidence And that's what enables him to say in chapter 1, verse 10, I am Messiah's slave. I am no man's slave. I've been called by God, given a message to deliver on behalf of God. I am Messiah's slave. It gives him a tremendous amount of confidence. The other thing it does is give him a tremendous amount of independence. So throughout this section, that you'll see if you read it um, with a a fine eye, is that even when he goes to the other apostles who are Christians, he goes to them and says, hey, here's the message I'm preaching, confirm it, but even if you don't, I don't care because I heard it from God. Now, the reality of this, this isn't just like you away in a place and you hear something from God that contradicts the Bible and you say it's authoritative because God told me. This, for us, is the authoritative word of God. Now, God can speak to you through prayer. He can lead you, but it never will be contrary to his word. Paul was receiving the very words of God, so it gave him a tremendous amount of confidence and independence. And what he's arguing throughout this entire book is, listen, you can question me on behalf of anybody. In the end, even if they disagree with me, it doesn't matter because this is the true message of God. Because he had been confirmed by God, it gave him confidence and independence. Here's something for you to think about if you go, well, what does that mean for us? One is this you go through life and you ask a lot of questions. You wonder things that you should do. You want wisdom about a decision. You're walking into hard times. Here's the thing that you can emulate of Paul get away. There are moments when you need to get away and just sit before God and hear from Him. Because when God confirms something in you, you will have a tremendous amount of confidence much more than if you just did it on your own. The other thing is, is you've got to hear from God where he's authoritative, and that's in the scriptures. Plunge yourself. The word of God brings confidence and assurance to what you're doing and how you are doing it. And here's the other thing. Hearing from God, knowing that this is the word of truth, gives you confidence to walk into any situation, and it enables you then to fear God. And fearing God, Meaning you want to, you are concerned about his approval, not man's approval. The only antidote, the only thing that counteracts, the only cure for the fear of man, if you're one of those people, which most of us are, myself included, that constantly want people's approval so much that it binds you up and enslaves you, the only cure for that, the only antidote to fear of man is the fear of God, which you only gain through the scriptures and through sitting at his feet seeking to listen to him. Paul was confirmed by God but then he says I understand that this alone isn't good enough so I w- he also says I was also confirmed by the church in Jerusalem and the other apostles the pillars of the church so if you look in verse 18 of chapter 1 going all the way through chapter 2 verse 10 in verse 18 he says this then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas which is Peter and remained with him 15 days Now, he's establishing his independence here. He's going, I didn't talk to anybody else but James. But then he says this. Verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So now he's looking at the Judaizers going, You think you came from Jerusalem and I didn't? The Jerusalem church glorifies God because of me, which meant the Jerusalem church is confirming him. He then goes on in chapter 2, 1 through 10, and says, the apostles also confirmed me. In his second visit, Paul most likely is on a trip to take relief to Jerusalem because there's a famine, and he lays before the pillars of the church, James and Peter He lays before them the message he's been establishing and he says, I want to make sure that I'm not running in vain. And what he means by that is not saying I'm concerned that my message isn't true, but he's saying the unity of the church is so essential. So if I'm preaching something different from what you're preaching or better way to say it, he's so confident. He would say if you're preaching a message contrary to what I'm preaching because I know the message I'm preaching is true, then there's a problem because the church isn't unified. That's what he means by in vain. And he, he in the end, says they affirm him to say, yes, the message you are preaching is true. You go to the Gentiles. James will go to the Jews. Peter, Peter will go to the Jews. You go to the Gentiles. And in the end, we can know that the mission of God is being accomplished. So they commission him. They give him what the Bible says, a right hand of fellowship, which means they say, yes, we're on board with you. We commission you. And then they say, but by the way, remember, we're hungry here and that the gospel is more than just getting right with god it is the gospel here's what they're saying they ask him remember the poor and paul says the very thing which i was eager to do so in this whole entire thing paul is establishing his qualifications his character his apostleship so that we would know the message is true Jesus Christ is Lord over the whole world. The Jesus Christ who died upon a cross for the sins of the world, who was raised from the dead to claim victory over evil, Satan, sin, and death, is Lord of the entire world. And it's about him and nothing else. No additions. As we look at that last construct, here's what we got to know as we end today. The gospel, the gospel, the truth of it matters. And the gospel is worth fighting for because it's the power of God and the salvation. And the result of the gospel matters. The unity of the church and that lives actually are changed by it matters. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. The gospel is cross-shaped. It's shaped like the cross. As we enter in now to singing songs and to taking communion, remember this. The gospel's cross-shaped. It reconciles us to God it makes us right with God, and it makes us right with each other. You can't separate those. That's why they say, and remember the poor. That's why Paul fights and says, you can't have divisions in the church. Gentiles over here and Jews over here. The gospel makes us one. It reconciles us to God and reconciles us to each other. Let's pray. Father, we um, love you and thank you, God, The gospel matters we see it we understand it we ask now Jesus that we would experience it God as Paul was changed radically in I pray for all of us here whether we're Christians or we're not that we would experience the grace of God and that we too would be radically changed by your love Father, you're amazing to us. We love you and thank you. God, do the work that only you can do in our hearts, our lives, in our churches, and in our world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? I have a strong perfectly a great high priest whoever My name is Grace.